So this morning something happened in confirmation. It turns out I've been missing something my whole life and I didn't even know it. But our confirmation girls sneakily worked with Rebecca behind my back and they provided for me this thing that I was missing. So give me one second. This is P cubed, standing for purple pastor power. <laughs> and my purple pastor power is purple pastor prayer. Although this morning, I think it's going to be purple pastor preaching. Uh, and I promised, because they deserve it, that they could come in for the big reveal. So it's got everything you could need in a purple pastor power cape. It's got sparkles. And it's got sparkly lace, and it's got sparkly lettering, and it's purple. So <laughs> thank you, Confirmation Girls. <laughs> if you ever doubted how awesome Confirmation is, that is put to rest now. But mostly our, our students are pretty incredible. So I'll let, you, I'll let you go to class because that's going to be more fun than this. But, but thank you, and thank you for sticking in for the big reveal. <laughs> so the rest of us are going to turn in our Bibles, and there's a, there's a catch. We're not turning to the sermon text right away. First, we're going to turn in our Bibles to Luke 22. 54 to 62. We thought that we'd see how alert you are by switching up the text. While we're turning to Luke 22, 54 to 62, um, I'm going to start us off with a word of prayer. God, thank you for your grace in our lives. We ask that you would prepare our hearts as we jump into the text, as we listen for your word. We ask that you would speak to each of us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, this cape couldn't have come on a better day, and I don't think our girls knew that. Rebecca probably did. Um, I really get anxious about preaching. I really still do. And, and I often struggle with maybe feelings of, of not being worthy, maybe not being worthy of a calling, not being worthy in general. And so I don't think that's, I don't think that's unique to me. I think if I pose the question and each of us was honest, there are times when we all struggle with feeling not quite up to the call he's given us or just a little unworthy of one thing or another. And um, whether they meant it or not, <laughs> Purple Pastor Power uh, was a very good way to reaffirm that this morning. Um, and that's what I hope that this text is going to do for you also. So I hope that each of you find your P-cubed power today 
um, whether it's um, pretty preaching points, or I don't know. You can make your own P-cubed alliteration and find your own superpower, uh, but what we're gonna be talking about today is those, those feelings of unworthiness, those feelings of shame and guilt, and those things that we struggle with that do not come from Christ. And in order to do that, we're gonna jump into the story of Peter. So sometimes when we go into the text, it's really good to take a different perspective to say, oh, what if I was this person or this person or this fly on the wall looking in on the seam? Today, I'm going to actually tell you who you're going to be, and you are going to be Peter, Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, all the same person, different names. And it's funny how the different names mean different things in the text, but that's who you are. Today, you are Peter, and you are putting yourself in his shoes each time we read a different text. So let's start off with Luke 22, 54 to 62. You can either choose to follow along, or you can just listen, imagining yourself in his place. Then, seizing him, they led Jesus away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed from a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him. And she said, this man, this man was with him. But Peter denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him, and they said, you are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. And still, about an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. But just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And then the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And so he went out and wept bitterly. There is a sinking sort of ill feeling you get when you leave a dear friend or a loved one on bad terms after an unresolved conflict. I can only remember this really happening once in my life but once is enough to make you never want to experience it again. And the funny thing is I knew I would be able to see that person right away. You know, maybe I'd have to wait a couple days, but I knew I'd be able to see them again. But there's that 
pit in your stomach and that fluttering in your heart when you leave something unresolved and walk away from each other. It's not a good feeling. And I think each of us has probably either experienced that or can vividly imagine it. When we're at odds with someone we dearly love. But Peter, he knows this is the end. He's not going to be able to see Jesus in a few days. At least he probably doesn't think he will. He knows Jesus is dying. And there's no time left to repair what he has just broken. So Peter, who once claimed Jesus to be the Messiah and who stood so firm and who not so many hours before this had proclaimed that he would lay his life down for Jesus, now faced this heart-stopping reality that he had denied Jesus just as Jesus himself had predicted and Jesus knew it. He had caught him at it and then looked directly at him. And before the relationship could be repaired, Jesus died, and Peter had to live with that guilt. A few days later, Jesus' tomb was found empty, and it took Peter some time to believe it. Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and that was way more than a dream come true, but Peter carried that guilt inside of him, and who can really blame him? It wasn't just his best friend, or his teacher, or even his lord and master, whom he had turned his back on, but it turned out that this was actually the son of God, resurrected from the dead as only God himself could be. I can only imagine that that guilt had grown exponentially on that realization. I turned my back not on just a friend, but on my God who is my friend. I shouldn't have done that. I didn't even mean to do that. And how can I face him now? In a moment, we're going to enter back into the text. We're going to open to John chapter 21. You can start getting ready now. And we're going to stay in the perspective of Peter, but we're going to carry that weight with us. Now, obviously, there are going to be parallels between John 21 and Luke 22, which we just read. But there are other passages that we should take into account, and I'm specifically thinking of the time when Jesus called Simon Peter into discipleship. It'll feel oddly familiar. When Jesus called Simon Peter, Simon was in a boat. He'd been fishing all night. He was tired and worn out, and he did not have a good catch. Things were not going well. And Jesus provided a fish miracle. And after that, he said to Simon Peter, you from now on will be a fisher of men if you follow me. And so he did. 
he just went and followed Jesus and became a fisher of men. That was his calling. Jesus gave him a calling and a purpose and a task, and he took it up with, uh, with glee and gratitude. He, he jumped right in. You're going to hear some absolute parallels here. That was his calling, was to serve God's people and to help them find their way to the kingdom of heaven through Christ. And yet along the way, he stumbled. And he was overcome with this guilt of denying Christ. He denied the Lord and it brought him to bitter tears and then his Messiah died. And now that Jesus has been raised again, that original calling to be a fisher of men must have been ringing in the back of his mind at least. But still his guilt was profound and he needed to pick up the pieces of his life and so he went back to the trade that he knew and that was fishing, you know, fishing for fish. Because maybe he was a little bit lost and a little bit wandering And it seems that even fishing for fish wasn't going well for him in this scene that we're about to delve into. So here we go in John 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, The sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. And so they went out and got into a boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore But the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. And then he called to them. Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of your boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he'd taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of coals with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came 
took the bread and gave it to him and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, he did not call him Peter here. I wonder what Peter, Peter thought of that. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And then a third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself, went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. Someone else will dress and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. There's a lot in this passage. <laughs> but I really can't get over the moment when Peter was so overcome with anticipation and emotion over seeing Jesus that he just jumped into the water and swam to see him. They were close to shore. They really weren't that far, and they could see that Jesus wasn't going anywhere. He was standing on the shore cooking breakfast. He wasn't in a hurry to leave, but Peter was in a hurry to get to him. Peter had to get to him. He had to see him. He had to resolve this lingering rift. Peter wanted things to be better, and Jesus was just hanging out, cooking fish. And I can't get over that either because there was this urgency inside of Peter and Jesus is just cooking fish by the fire. And there's nothing you can take for granted in scripture. So even Jesus cooking fish by the fire had something to do with this passage that's important. And even the amount of fish in the net and the fish themselves had something to do that's important in this passage also. But first things first, we get the feeling that there's something different about Jesus. Nearly unrecognizable in appearance because earlier in the passage, the disciples really didn't necessarily recognize him at all at first. Um, and somehow between that moment and the time that the time that, Jesus, that uh, Peter jumps into the water, they realize that it's Jesus. And he's the risen, resurrected son of God, and that makes up for the difference. He's still fully man, but perhaps it's more evident now 
that he's fully God because he's been resurrected and restored. And so the disciples do notice these differences, and yet they know it's him by his manner, by maybe by the miracle that reminds them of their calling into ministry, maybe by him preparing a meal for them, maybe by the way he calls to them, something about him they, they know without having to ask that it is Jesus their master. There are some other little gems that are thrown into this fish scene. Um, first, he tells Peter to bring the fish in. And it's funny because he's already cooking breakfast and there's already fish on the fire, so he really doesn't need it. But Peter does. We'll get to that later. He gave Peter a task, and it's not related to breakfast. He gave Peter a task, and if you were to study into first century fishing, it makes sense. They couldn't haul the nets in. They couldn't properly care for the fish. They didn't want the fish to spoil. So the task that Peter gave him had nothing to do with breakfast, and it had nothing to do with being a fisher of men. It had everything to do with Peter's trade, being a fisher of fish, which is what he knows and what he's gone back to and what he's probably going to depend on for most of his life. Peter gave him a task that had everything to do with that, with that part of his calling. And sometimes we separate spiritual calling from our trade or our job or, or what have you, but Jesus didn't. And so he recognized that it's very important for Peter to take care of this catch of fish and to help the other disciples out. So before we get into anything, go ahead and finish your job. Haul in those fish so they don't spoil, so the catch doesn't go bad. Take care of that. And Peter did. Now I wonder what Peter is thinking. I've been so excited to restore this relationship and here's Jesus providing miracles and cooking me breakfast and telling me to take care of this. It feels to me almost surreal. There's something else to note about the fish. I might... I'm going to probably lose myself in this. <laughs> There's 153 fish. It's an oddly specific number, and I couldn't let that go because I don't know why I couldn't let that go. Uh, whenever I talk about numbers, Lauren Gribstead is not in the service. Lauren Gribstead is amazing when it comes to numbers in the Bible, and she's always like, oh, that number's important. Let's figure out how. She's really good at that, um, and she's not here again. So there were 153 fish, and a voice that sounded oddly like Lauren's popped up in my head and said, I wonder why they said 153. Why wouldn't they just say, there's a whole bunch of fish, or there were 150-ish? So I looked into it, and it turns out it is an important number. Um, and there's an equation <laughs> that goes along with it. And you guys are math people, so have fun. 
But my roommate, my roommate is also a math person, and she can probably explain it to you. I came away with this. It's a triangular number that has something to do with number 17. What's important to what I'm saying now is that it was an important number. So <laughs> this number had a symbolism that was, that was connected to perfection and that was connected to abundance, both of those things. And also, and this is the part where I'm gonna lose myself, it's somehow also connected to the Trinity because it's a triangular number and three factors into there somewhere. You'll do a better job on your own if you look it up. <laughs> but what's important is that it symbolizes perfection and abundance and it has something to do with the Trinity and that's not an accident. And 153 was looked upon in ancient Greece as a unique and exciting number. That's all I really needed to know. <laughs> so 153 is looked on as a unique and exciting number. And aside from that, there is the symbolism of a catch of fish, not in ancient Greek, but to the Hebrew people who looked at a catch of fish as a symbol of God's provision. So when you intermix those cultures, the Greek and Hebrew, as you have to because that's where they were at, they were forced to intermingle their cultures all the time. When you intermingle the fact that 153 is a sign of abundance and a fun, unique number, and important, and a sign of perfection, and take that and mix it with the fact that a good catch is a sign of God's provision. Suddenly, a catch of 153 fish means something, not just to the Hebrew people, but to the Greek people as well. 153 fish in that net means this is a catch of fish that was given to you by the one who can provide it. This is a perfect catch of fish and that wouldn't have gone unnoticed as it would have gone unnoticed by me if Lauren Gribstad's what about the numbers wasn't echoing in my mind. And I found that to be a fun little token that I hadn't seen before. Now why is all this important? Because I'm not just going off on a tangent. Jesus was talking to several of the disciples all at once and obviously he provided this miracle for all seven of those disciples who were, who were there at the moment and yet Peter was being singled out. Peter who had to have been racked by guilt and was now floundering because of that guilt and unable to really fulfill the calling Jesus had given him, now that Jesus was face to face there with Peter, he didn't reprimand him and he didn't ask for an apology and he didn't say, I told you so. He called out to Peter and blessed him with a perfect catch of fish that must have come from God in heaven. He prepared him a meal. 
he asked him to work in a fulfilling way. He was blessing him and saying, I am blessing your work. Does that sound like someone who's holding a grudge? It really doesn't to me. Now this miracle probably gets the ball rolling. I bet there's some relief here. It paves the way for the conversation that Jesus and Peter are about to have. And that's really the crux of the matter. Because here again, the number is important. It's not an accident that Jesus asks Peter three times whether he loved him. It's meant to remind us of those three denials. But more importantly, it's meant to remind Peter of those three denials. And people have this unfortunate tendency to misinterpret this as the moment that Jesus forgave Peter. And it's a nice sentiment, but I really think it cuts God short. Because there's nothing in this passage that proves Jesus is asking Peter to ask for forgiveness, nor does it say that, Jesus has, or that Peter has done anything worthy of forgiveness. He doesn't say he's sorry, and he doesn't show Jesus that he's spread the gospel to hundreds of people. He doesn't really do much. Peter was forgiven at the very moment when he repented. And we can assume that by his bitter weeping, which was almost immediately after he denied Christ, we can assume that that was his moment of repentance. And this passage takes place sometime later. So to say that Jesus withholds forgiveness until we pass some kind of a test or until we do this secret formula that leads to forgiveness, that's wrong. The only condition of forgiveness is that our hearts are truly repentant and that we follow him in faith. And so here's the whole point and crux of the sermon this morning. I'm going to just lay it out for you so you don't miss the point. If you are struggling with guilt, but you have faith in Christ, then you need to know that you are forgiven. Maybe there's going to be a follow-up. You probably need to repent of something. Perhaps there's going to be ongoing work between you and God, but those are not conditions of your forgiveness. You are already forgiven the moment you repent. And I, I did not plan to be uh, crowned the P-cubed superhero this morning. It worked out really well. <laughs> because here's the thing, this, this doesn't just apply to guilt. This applies to whatever matters your heart is struggling with as it is happening. I think my heart has been heavy lately of feeling pretty unworthy. Not necessarily with guilt, but just your general unworthiness. And I think if I were to be Peter and say, God, you know my heart, 
I think what I would find through that conversation is that it is God who makes you worthy for your calling. Peter had to struggle through this conversation with Christ. Sometimes people get hooked up on the translation of love in this passage. And we're going to go into that. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, do you love me in that agape, God's love, deep kind of a way? And Peter said, yes, Lord, I do brotherly, worldly love you. And so then Jesus said, Peter, do you agape, deeply, godly love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I do brotherly, worldly love you. And so finally, Jesus said, Peter, do you brotherly, worldly love me? And Peter said, yes, you know that I do brotherly, worldly love you. It's strange, and people get hooked up on that. And they say, well, maybe Peter wasn't reaching Jesus' standards, and I don't think that's fair, and I don't think that's true. I think that the important thing to come apart with is that Jesus made Peter declare, you know what's in my heart. And that probably made Peter think, oh, if you know what's in my heart, then you do know that I love you. And if you know that what's in my heart, then you do know that I've repented, and you do know I'm sorry, and you do know I'm worthy, and you do know all of these things. I don't think that words are ever accidents in the Bible. So I, I do realize there's some importance in the difference between agape and filio love. But maybe it's this. Maybe God is saying, Peter, I love you with a love that is pure and deep and almost unfathomable, un almost unfathomable, nope, <laughs> unfathomable. <laughs> and I want to know if you love me in that way. And, and Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you deeply. You know the extent of my love. And my love for you is something that I cannot explain to you or really comprehend. But it's not that it doesn't meet Jesus' ex expectations. It's human love for Christ. And the point of all of this is that Jesus already knows it, and he knows the extent of it. One thing you should not take away from this sermon is that you don't need to repent. Because still, Jesus knows your heart. One thing you should not take away from today is that you don't need to work at your relationship with Christ. That's not true. What you do take away from today is that sometimes we're overcome with guilt or shame. Sometimes we focus on the wrong things. Sometimes we get distracted, and these things pull us away from our calling in Christ. When I feel unworthy, I feel like I don't have what it takes to stand up here and bring God's word, and that's untrue because this is my calling. 
fill in your own blanks. This is in my heart right now. If, if Jesus were to have a conversation with you and prompt you to find out what's in your heart, because he already knows what's in your heart, but if he was to prompt you, what would he find in your heart and what is it stopping you from in your calling? We're going to take a few minutes. We're about to take offering. But I want you to think about those two blanks. Jesus, you know everything, so you know this. Is it something to repent from? Is it a guilt that you've repented from over and over, but that you weigh yourself down with? Is it a fear? Is it a pain? What is that thing that Jesus already knows about your heart that he's trying to free you from? And then think about your calling in relationship to that. And remember, Jesus did not pull Peter away from his day-to-day -day fishing. In fact, he said, you know what? I'm going to help you with this because this is, in the end, going to augment my calling in your life. We are all unworthy of Jesus' forgiveness, yet we have all earned it because he has made us worthy of his work for the kingdom. And that is a promise and a joy that we get to hold on to. So we are going to pray, and I invite the ushers to come up um, while we're sorting through this conversation with Jesus as he knows our hearts.